So <clears throat> I made a promise today, uh, earlier today at church, and I promised Luke that I would not start off tonight uh, by asking you guys how you're doing, and then when you have a weak response saying, come on, you guys can do better than that. So uh, Luke, I kept my promise. Are we good? Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so as you can see, uh, I am not dressed in a bear suit tonight. However, do not let that fool you. We will be continuing our series tonight called Believe It or Not. Um, and in this series, we've been looking at some of the lesser-known stories in the Bible, right? So these are the stories that don't necessarily get preached about every Sunday. Uh, that, you know, you kind of have to search through your Bible, and they're kind of like those stories where we're just not really sure why they're even there, right? Uh, it, it's kind of hard to, like, get meaning out of it sometimes. And so um, if, if you don't recall, the bear suit was about me preaching about Elisha, right? So he, uh, he called down these two she-bears. He cursed some 42 youths, and they mauled 42 youths, right? So, like, that was the first story we looked at. And, uh, you know, it was great. I hope you guys remember that. I embarrassed myself. I uh, got those pictures on Instagram. I, I'm aware. You guys love that. So that's great. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, last week, uh, Daryl actually talked to us. Uh, if you remember anything that happened before the color war, which I'm sure most of you have no clue, but Daryl talked about uh, Joshua, right? So Joshua with the day that he uh, called the sun to stand still. He prayed to God and said, hey, God, we're fighting this battle we, we, we don't have enough time. Like, there's not enough daylight, right? So, like, God's, like, ultimate daylight savings time. And he, like, made the sun stand still in the sky, right? So they had more time to slay their enemies. And uh, just as, like, a side note, I don't have this, like, written or anything, but just so everybody's aware, uh, you know, it's, it's been, like, kind of crazy for Daryl. Uh, he's, he's been kind of halfway running three ministries. Uh, guys, he's a great leader. Uh, he's running middle school, right? We don't have a middle school guy. We got one coming in, which is a great relief right? Praise, praise the Lord. But he's been running middle school, he's been running high school, and he's also been running uh, college on Tuesday nights. Now, again, he's not doing that alone. He's on a team. He's got people helping him. But guys, like, Daryl works pretty hard for you guys. I hope you guys realize that. Um, and so just wanted to give a shout out because that's doing some good work, man. Um, but yeah, yeah, give it up for Daryl. <laughs> there's, there's relief coming soon. <laughs> so, um, right. But again, like last week when we were talking about that, the, the kind of the thing that stuck out to me was God breaks the rules, right? Like, he, he's, not, he's not bounded by, like, the laws of physics. He's not bounded by, like, what we understand to be the way things work. If God wants to do something, he, he doesn't have to think about how he's going to get it done. He just, boom, it's done, right? And that's kind of cool, like, seeing the power of God just displayed in such a miraculous way, right? Like, he talked about the earth stopping. It's like, well, didn't the people just go, like, flying off? It's like, no, God knows how to do that without making that happen, right? He, he, he can make that happen. So... Again, really cool story. Now, this week, as I was searching for a story to preach on, you know, there's tons of stories in the Bible. Like, don't get me wrong, like, tons of stories that are pretty unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I was really, like, trying to figure out what I was going to preach on. And so, uh, we, one of the first ones that came to mind was, like, Philip, right? Like, so he, he gets teleported. I don't know if you guys know, teleportations in the Bible. That's kind of cool. Uh, but I was like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that one. And then there's a story about, uh, Balaam and his donkey, right? And like this donkey's like talking to him. Crazy stuff in the Bible. If you haven't read it, like there's, they could continue this series for a very long time. But something that kind of like stuck out to me um, was a story of rescue. And it's not just rescue uh, in one particular sense. It's actually rescue like on a crazy scale. And what I want us to see tonight through the story uh, is that as unbelievable as many of these stories are in the series, they all point to a God, right? A God who's able to achieve them because of who he is. And nothing is too difficult for him. So with that, um, 
I'll, I'll go ahead and pray for us, and we'll get started. Uh, God, I just uh, I thank you for these students who came out on a Sunday night, uh, God, to just hear from your word. I just pray that you'll uh, speak through me tonight, uh, that your words uh, will penetrate through any distractions and uh, things that are going on in this room, God. God, because I know you have a message for these students through this, and I, I just pray that uh, they'll be able to take this home and live uh, changed, right? Uh, God, we talked this morning about how when you te- teach things to us, if all it is is knowledge and it doesn't change us, then it's, it's basically useless. So God, I just pray for life change tonight. And we pray, amen. So we will get into tonight's text in just a second here. But before we do, uh, I just wanted us to take a look at some of these related stories. So like, like I told you guys, we're looking at stories of rescue. And as you're going to see, uh, God often does things in the same way. So events in the Old Testament often point to like events that happen in the New Testament. Easiest example for me is right, the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. Right? So God tells him to go sacrifice his son. And, and that points to what Jesus would do on the cross for us, right? And so what he would achieve there. God provided the ram in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac, right? So like we read that in the story, he's about to get him. And then he's like, God's like, hey, no, I, I provided this, lamb, this ram just as he provided Jesus as the substitution payment for our sins. It's very clear, like these stories are related. So what I want to focus tonight on these stories, and this is the first uh, note here for you guys on your notes, is we're going to see a pattern of rescue, pattern of rescue. For those of you who were in church this morning, uh, Doug, the pastor from East Campus, he was speaking today, and he talked about the Garden of Eden. And after Adam and Eve have sinned, there were consequences for that sin. But he also showed us that God had a rescue plan, right? So as he's doling out these these consequences for the sin, he's telling Adam and Eve, you know, Eve's going to have pain in childbirth. Adam, you're just going to have to work really hard. You're going to have sweat on your brow. All of that stuff happens. But if you notice, he also turns to the serpent. And he talks to the serpent and says that through Eve, through Eve's line, there's going to be coming someone someday who's going to crush his head. Right? So, like, you messed up. You, you deceived my, my creation. And for that, I will crush your head through her. Right? Through a descendant from Eve. And what I want you guys to notice here, uh, obviously that's Jesus he's talking about. But I want you guys to note that that has always been the plan. This is not something that just happened, like, God had to, like, on the fly come up with a a way to make this happen. If you look in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says this, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb. Notice this, slain from the foundation of the world. Slain from the foundation of the world. This was always the plan. It's not plan B. The rescue plan was built into creation. So I think that's really important for us to know here is that Jesus the Lamb knew before he created the world, because you know Jesus was part of creation, he knew whose names would be found in the book of life. And you don't get to be in the book of life without a substitutionary atonement of Jesus' death, right? So he knew whose names would be in there based on his own sacrifice before he even created the world. It's like kind of mind-blowing, right? It's like hard to like think about. But this is not plan B. God's pattern of rescue was there before he even created the universe. This pattern of rescue began before the world did. And if you skip ahead to chapter 6 in in Genesis, you're going to find the descendants of Adam about to be destroyed by God for exceeding wickedness, right? We all know this story. Rather than start from scratch, God chose to keep his promise, right? So, like, they're pretty bad. Everything's going crazy. And God decides, like, hey, like, instead of starting from scratch, I remember I said through Eve's line, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. And that's why 
He provided an ark for Noah and his family. You guys recall that story. Noah obediently built the boat with his own hands, right? So, like, you're, you're asking yourself, well, like, did God provide the rescue? Like, kind of Noah built the boat. But if you read the story carefully, which I hope you guys do kind of read through Scripture carefully, you'll notice that, first of all, God initiated the plan, right? He, like, he tells them what the boat should be, how big it should be, all the kind of dimensions and stuff like that. But not only that, the day that the rain comes, who shuts the door? There's, there's no one able to shut the door from the inside. It only closed from the outside. God closed the door. So not only does he initiate this plan of rescue, he seals it, right? And so like, that's something I want you guys to see from this story is that God's rescue plan is initiated by him and sealed by him. If you guys recall, uh, there's actually a guy named Enoch who's Noah's great-grandfather, right? So uh, I don't know if you know too much about like the genealogy in Genesis. I'm sure you guys skip right through that. But yeah, Noah's uh, great-grandfather was named Enoch. And we learn that Enoch was, and then he was not, right? Uh, if you read your Bible, uh, it kind of seems kind of confusing. But the New Testament tells us what happened with Enoch, right? So he was taken to heaven. He was so close with God that God was just like, yeah, come on, come on up, right? Like, he didn't die, which is, I think, kind of cool. And his, his son, so uh, Enoch's son was named Methuselah. Is that a name that rings out for you guys? You might remember Methuselah. He's well known for being the oldest living character in the Bible. Now, if you guys do the math, interestingly, his life kind of ends right when we believe the flood came. Kind of strange, right? Like, he lived a long time, but the day the flood came, it seems like he's, he's gone. So there was a rescue plan for Enoch. He, he got to escape from that. If we just look a few chapters later to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, you guys, right, right we're still going through Genesis uh, we're doing that Sunday morning, but we're kind of going a little bit slower. I'm, I'm kind of flying through. So Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember that story, Abraham had some family who was in the city of uh, Sodom, right? And, and he told God he wanted him to get them out. And so God initiates this rescue plan, right? So Lot and his family, that's his brother-in-law, uh, who, by the way, these people uh, that he was trying to rescue, they were fairly deserving of the punishment that was coming on the city. It's not like they were righteous, right? Uh, <laughs> they're, they're rescued through no merit of their own. If you, if you remember the story, Lot's wife, right? Like she turns back and looks and she turns into a pillar of salt. So basically what that's saying is like she loved and cared about what she left behind more than the guy who was actually rescuing her from the judgment. Crazy, right? Like, oh man, my people are burning for their sins. Wish I could join them. God's like, go ahead. You know, <laughs> like crazy. And, and Lot's daughters are no better. Uh, I thought about preaching about Lot's daughters, but this story kind of makes me sick. So uh, I'm just spare you guys the gory details and just let you know they're not very nice people. Um, <laughs> but the whole point here is God rescued these people through no merit of their own. And this is not out of the norm for God. Time and time again, we see that God protects his people. And we've only made it to Genesis chapter 18. And this isn't even every part of like God's rescue. I hope you guys understand this isn't God's character. It's who he is. It's his nature to rescue us. We've seen this pattern of rescue, and the ultimate uh, example in Scripture is obviously Jesus, right, on the cross. So Jesus' death and resurrection as a payment for our sins. We shouldn't be surprised that the God who so often rescues us and even tells us what his plan is would be so willing to rescue us at Calvary. What he did on the cross should not have been a surprise. It's very much in his character. So tonight, now that I'm about to share with you our uh, story that we're going over, I just don't want you to be surprised that this is the plan, right? So like... What's, what's coming 
it, it's very much in line with who God is. I could pull out a hundred more examples for you guys from the Bible, just time and time and time again, like barely went through like Israel's history, right? Like Israel time and time again has been rescued through no merit of their own because of who God is, not because of what they deserved. With that said, let's turn to tonight's, uh, one of tonight's texts. Uh, if you guys could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your Bible phones or apps, whatever it is you guys use, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm starting in verse 51. It says here, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's kind of a crazy passage. Um, I don't want to, like, lose how crazy this passage is, and we're going to look at another one as well. But this uh, next note here for you guys in your uh, notes is the mystery revealed. What is this mystery? What is it that we are talking about? So I'm sure many of you guys have heard of the rapture. And the first thing that comes to mind for me uh, is the Left Behind books. So that's kind of like a generation removed from you guys. I don't know how many of you guys have read or seen the movies. Uh, but like if Kirk Cameron isn't the first thing that comes to your mind, I don't know how to help you. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's just a joke for the adults in the room. Uh, but I will say that the rapture became a mainstream topic like when I was like in high school, right? Like these books were coming out and you could be like pretty rest assured, like you'll hear a sermon at some point about the rapture. It was, it was kind of like a big thing. Like people wanted to talk about it. Even like people who aren't Christians were talking about the rapture. So what happened? You guys hear about the rapture all the time right now? I would say, I don't know about you, but I often hear, I don't often hear sermons on the rapture anymore. And the reason for that, my guess would be is that it hasn't happened yet. People got really excited, right? Like, oh man, like this rescue is coming, like crazy world that we're living in, right? If you remember 9-11 was, you know, right around that time and the world seemed like it was just turned upside down. Everything kind of fell out of whack. And we're like, well, we turn to scripture and we see that God's gonna come and, and rescue us. Like, how cool is that? And people were excited. And here we are in 2022 and like Jesus hasn't come back yet. Fervor kind of died out, right? And the craze with studying the rapture comes with what I would describe as some red flags. So before we get too deep in tonight's study, I do want to make a few things clear, uh, the whole purpose behind what we're doing tonight. First, I will not try to determine when the rapture will happen or give you a date that you can mark on your calendar, okay? <laughs> like, that's not what I'm here to do. Far too often, you will hear people say that Jesus is coming back on such and such a day, and I can tell you that I've heard that many, many times throughout even just my life. This has been happening for centuries. Since the, the church was in, like created, people have thought Jesus is coming back any day. And they've been proven wrong. Now, do not mistake me. Jesus is coming back. But I'm not preaching this message to help you come up with some calendar. When is he coming back? My answer is I do not know. Do you know, Daryl? Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I can't tell you a date. But my answer is also that he's coming soon. Scripture does tell me that. And what do I mean by soon? Even some of the writers in the New Testament said this, right? Like, Jesus is coming soon. They lived in the first century. What did they mean by that? So, again, I'm not here to give you a date. 
people are going to argue about all sorts of dates, uh, and even like good Christian people who who love and follow the Lord, they disagree on like when Jesus is going to come back, even like in relation to the tribulation, right? So like some people think it'll happen here, others over here, and like we can all have disagreements about that. I'm not here to like preach a particular route there or a date. So second thing here is I'm not here to discuss particulars. So something I'm really trying hard to teach my guys in my discipleship group is to be less interested in how something works and to be more interested in what that thing means. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this. What I mean by that is that far too often we are like an engineer. We get interested in the particulars and breaking something down so that we can understand it when we should be trying to understand what a passage means to us, okay? How do we apply this? So currently my group is going through Revelation and there's a lot of stuff to like question how it works, right? Like the particulars. And I remember when we were talking about this, introducing Revelation, I talked about the rapture, which by the way, if you haven't been too familiar with the Bible, the rapture is not even in Revelation. It's not mentioned. So, the guys asked me all sorts of crazy questions when I introduced the topic. My favorite question was, uh, somebody asked me, well, what's going to happen in the rapture? Like, will we leave behind our clothes? And uh, will we, like, teleport up there naked? And, or as uh, Doug would say, naked? <laughs> you heard him this morning. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, kind of crazy questions, right? That's like a how does this work question. You guys see that? Now, the question seemed to excite one guy in particular, and I won't say who it is, even though it, kind of want to, but it'd be weird. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, like, people get excited about the particulars, and this is, again, what I'm trying to explain to you guys is that's not what the passage is about, okay? So with that said, let's look, look back at this mystery that's being revealed here in 1 Corinthians. So Paul writes to these Christians in Corinth, letting them know that something that has not been revealed before is now currently being revealed to them, Okay? The disciples had seen Jesus rise from the dead. If you recall, like, crazy things happened in their lifetime. They got to see the resurrected Jesus with his glorified body. If you recall, like, uh, Thomas, like, literally went up and touched the wounds. But here in Corinthians, we learn that Jesus is just the firstborn from the dead, and that we are going to follow him in this transformation process, right? So I want you to notice that the dead will experience this transformation. Those who die knowing Jesus, will also receive their glorified bodies. I don't want to get into what happens to them while they're waiting for this day, right? So, like, the dead are, you know, currently waiting for those glorified bodies. What's happening to them now? Again, we're kind of getting into particulars, but my answer would be to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can we all agree on that? It doesn't really matter the particulars. If you're dead and you're a Christian, you get to be with the Lord. But there is a day coming where we will receive glorified bodies and be just like Jesus after his resurrection in that way. That day is still coming. It has not come here yet. All we know from this passage is that like Jesus, we will receive these new bodies and the perishable will put on the imperishable, right? The mortal shall put on immortality. Tons of stories about uh, immortals, right? In, in myths, this isn't a myth. This is something that's available to us. The Bible tells us. So now that I've introduced the idea of the rapture to you, let's get into tonight's main text. That's going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is also from Paul. He says here, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe... 
that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And I don't want you to miss this part. It says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So my next uh, note here for you guys uh, is the zombie apocalypse and the snap. Okay? So... I actually named this sermon The Blip, uh, which for those of you who are Marvel, Marvel fans, right, like Thanos does the, the snap and like people like disappear, right? It's not exactly what the rapture is, but it kind of reminds me of that, right? So like, uh, if you recall, like, Thanos, like he gets rid of like half of like all life, right, just like with a snap. That's not what's happening here. Just to be clear, it's not like random, right? So God's taking believers to heaven. And I don't think, again, this is like a how question, but I don't know if we dissolve into ash, right? I hope not. I don't think that's how it happens. But again, that's particulars, right? We're not focused on how this happens. This passage uh, tells us that there's a day coming when Jesus will come back, and the first thing that the world will see, the first thing that the world's going to see is dead people coming out of their graves. Kind of crazy, right? Like, when I think about crazy things that happen in the Bible, this is absolutely nuts, right? Like dead people coming out of their graves and walking around. This reminds me of a passage in Matthew 27. I'm just going to read it for you real quick. Uh, this is basically right as Jesus is dying on the cross. If you guys recall, like the, the sun gets darkened and it says this, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of their tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the son of God. So I want us to notice this zombie apocalypse that's coming. It's not terrifying for us, right? It's actually a wonderful thing for Christians. Yeah, it's not quite like the movies, right? But also I want you to notice how convincing it was to those who experienced it, right? So this centurion who literally had a hand in putting Jesus on the cross, like putting Jesus to death, when he felt that earthquake, saw the sun darkened, and now sees dead people walking around, he's convinced, right? This is the son of God that I just nailed to a tree. Very convincing at that point. It's a beautiful passage. And in my opinion, it's one of the more encouraging passages as well. So Paul helps us to understand that mystery that he talked about in 1 Corinthians just a little bit more. So he's kind of like peeling back another layer here and showing us a little bit more. I want you to understand he does not tell us all the details even here, though. Right? Like, this is very vague. It, it doesn't tell us particulars. Again, there's no date, no calendar on there. If you knew that the exact date Jesus was coming and I told you it was like next Tuesday, right, would you live your life any different? I would hope so, Right? That's kind of the point of what we're going to get to here. So again, that's not the reason Paul is telling us this story. Let's start by understanding what he is saying, okay? So he's telling us he doesn't want us to be uninformed. There's a piece of knowledge that's missing, and he wants to make sure you have it. Paul wants us to know something to take away our ignorance. 
what were these Christians ignorant about? Simply put, death, right? Like they didn't understand death. Now, death is a topic not a lot of people like talking about. I mean, you guys are teenagers. It's kind of like hopefully a far way off for you guys. Like it doesn't enter your like everyday thought. And I think like the world really tries its best to like distract itself from ever thinking about death. They get really busy, right? They, they find ways to, to do anything and everything but think about what happens after they die. And yet we are always forced at some point to think about it when someone we care about, right, or someone who we respect, like some like celebrity dies. It is inevitable, and it's very sad. It's not the way we were designed to be. We, we weren't designed to die. That's why we feel this loss, right? Like, that's the way we were designed to be. It should be normal. We, we notice this is, like, not okay. Death is not the way it was supposed to be, and we know this. Maybe you're currently dealing with the death of someone that you know or care about. And I know that can be hard for you. It's hard for all of us. But look at what Paul says here, right? He says that the rest of the world has no hope when there's death. Death is the end. The end of your hopes, your dreams, pursuits, pleasures, everything. It's the end of everything. To the world, death is an endless void of nothingness stretching from your last breath to the end of eternity. Death is taking the wonderful lives that we enjoy and turning us into worm food. Again, it's not a topic that's exactly exciting, right? Like, kind of depressing. But that is not how Christians ought to think of death. Or as this passage calls it, it's kind of nice. It says sleep, right? Those who have fallen asleep, uh, it's a nice way of putting it. I took a nap today, but not, I didn't die. Paul reminds us that what we believe about Jesus as Christians uh, is namely that he died and rose again. Right? Like he, he reaffirms that like, that's the thing that separates us. We believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we ought to believe that this is going to happen as well. Paul says that we should not fear death because we will come back to life. But at the rapture, there will be some Christians who have not fallen asleep, right? Who have not died. And to these Christians, Paul holds out an amazing promise. He says that those who are alive and remain will be caught up with Jesus in the clouds. Again, the dead in Christ will rise first. So how will you know the rapture is about to happen? I would say look for some zombies, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, like the word here that the Greek uses is harpazo, which literally means to snatch away forcibly. So like if I went over there and snatched Jonah's phone off of his lap, that I harpazoed his, his phone, right? Gone. It's mine. I took it and put it somewhere else. That's kind of the, the, the word that's being used here. Uh, it's also the word that gets used for Philip. So I told you guys, I was thinking about talking about Philip being teleported so that he literally got harpazoed from one location, one city to another. Just boom, gone. Taken from one place to another. It wasn't his will. It just, God did it. Just like Elijah and his chariot of fire. Or if you look back at Enoch, right? So this is not a, a unique event, the rapture. But it's rare. It doesn't happen a lot. This word doesn't come up a lot. But we do see it happens. What a crazy idea, right? That one day we're going to hear this trumpet. Then dead Christians are going to come out of their graves and be walking among us. And then we will meet Jesus in the air with them. That's the story we're talking about tonight, right? This is an unbelievable, crazy story. But the Bible tells us it's going to happen. 
So I can't tell you now that if I'm one of those uh, dead Christians, if, if Jesus doesn't come back in my lifetime and I happen to be in a grave, I will tell you, but I have a plan. So <laughs> when I come out, like, I'm going to, like, really play up the zombie thing, you know, like, uh, you know, like dragging your leg kind of thing. Like, I just want to scare as many people as I can. But, <laughs> but no, like, that's kind of what's going on, right? Like, we're not seeing a real zombie apocalypse like it is in the movies, but that, that is the idea that we're getting is dead people literally coming out of their graves and walking among us. You know, like, great-grandma, you might see her again. Crazy, right? You do have to have some fun with it, but I do, I do hope uh, very much so to be on the much smaller boat of Christians who won't have to be in their graves, right? We'll get to join Jesus in the air uh, and, and not have to experience this uh, death thing that everybody seems to go through. That'd be kind of cool. And I can hardly think of a more unbelievable story than to never die and get transported directly to heaven with a new body, no less, right? And that's pretty cool. Like, I definitely like this idea. But imagine trying to convince some of your friends that this is a true story, right? Like, it's easy to talk about, like, Noah's Ark, right? Like, it's pretty unbelievable, but, like, people know the story. But imagine you tell your friends, like, yeah, I'm, like, patiently waiting on Jesus to return, and this is what's going to happen, and convincing them this is real. It's so unbelievable as to be absurd, and yet... If we look at the Bible, it's really not out of God's character, right? Like, like I said, we have a pattern of rescue that we see. And honestly, what's more unbelievable than the fact that a God became a human being and died on the cross for us, right? Like, and then resurrected. Like, we believe some crazy things as Christians. This is, it's not really that out of the norm, but the fact that it, it's an event that hasn't happened yet, right? Like, it's easy to look back in the past and be like, yeah, like, God did some crazy things back then, but he doesn't really seem to do anything crazy in my life. Well, that's not true, right? Like, he's taking you from death to life if you're a believer. That's a crazy event. This should not be out of the norm for us to believe. So come to my next section here, so what? Right, like, what are we supposed to do with this information? It's a really cool concept that makes for really great B-rated movies starring Kirk Cameron, but how should this change our lives? I told my guys in my lesson this morning that knowledge without life change is not really knowledge. The Bible says understanding means we change how we live. So let's look at a few uh, quick things uh, that we learn from this idea of the rapture. The first thing here I want you guys to notice is that God has not appointed us to wrath. Now this is kind of when I get into some of the particulars, and I don't want you guys to get too confused. This is more opinion, so take it for what you will. But my personal opinion is that the rapture occurs before the tribulation. They're upset it, you know. Come and debate me later, I don't care. But... Now that my opinion's out of the way, I will tell you why I believe that and why I think it's important. I see in scripture this pattern of rescue where God steps in right as he's about to bring the hammer down, right? Like he's about to like bring the judgment. And every single time he's about to, he gets his people out. He doesn't really judge his people in that way. He removes his people from situations so they are not judged with the wicked. In that same book that we've been looking at here in uh, chapter 5 of Thessalonians, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for, for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. 
so the Great Tribulation, again, I'm not going to like teach you the whole book of Revelation here, but it's a seven-year judgment that's talked about in the book of Daniel and Revelation, okay? People in like mainstream know about it, like the four horsemen, all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's something believers are going to experience. That's my, again, my opinion. Now, to be clear, there are Christians uh, who will experience the tribulation, right? Like, I think these are people who come to know Jesus during that time. They kind of missed the train, if you will, right? Only one train coming, and they missed it, so now you get to, like, live through the tribulation. That's another thing. But I do believe that the whole purpose of the tribulation is to bring as many people to Jesus as possible during that last seven years, seven horrific, wrath-filled years here on earth. But like Noah and his family, like Lot and his family, I believe that God has a plan that will let us escape the wrath of the Lamb. Again, I'm not holding to this idea dogmatically, like meaning that if you disagree with me, that's fine, uh, as far as like when the rapture occurs. But at the same time, the principle that we're learning here is that Christians are not appointed or destined for wrath. Praise God, right? Can I get an amen? Like, we get to escape wrath? Like, that's awesome. We are not destined for wrath. That is worth celebrating. Second thing I want you guys to notice here is that time is short. Something else I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know today is that today is the day of salvation. Too many of us are content in our plans. We act as if we have our whole lives ahead of us. And perhaps we do. You know, like, I don't, I don't know if you're going to live a whole, like, happy life to, like, age of 80-something, like, right? Like, I don't know. You could die in a car crash on the way home. Jesus can come back any second, right? Like, I don't know what God has planned for you. Has anyone in the room received any spe special intelligence from God saying that he's not going to come back anytime soon? Like, if so, please let me know. But, like, I haven't gotten that. And the Bible tells me, Scripture tells us that we ought to behave as if he's coming back at any moment. Right? Like, Jesus said, like, if you aren't awake and aware, I will come like a thief in the night and catch you unaware. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be caught unaware when Jesus comes back. Sounds kind of scary. I don't even want to think about it. If you have grown accustomed to the idea that you have a long time, the Bible says he will come back at a time that will surprise you. Are you behaving in such a way that proves you take his word seriously? That you truly believe he could come back any minute and the people you love and care about might miss the boat and experience seven years of hell on earth? unlike the world has ever seen? Or are you content with living your life as if you had all the time in the world? Because I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he did give us some signs to look out for. And I see a lot of those going on in the world today. It talks about wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, famine, earthquakes. Now again, like these things have been happening throughout like history, right? Like this is nothing new. Wars, wars have happened all the time. But Jesus talked about his second coming like a woman giving like, birth, right? It's like a labor. And again, I'm not a woman, so I don't understand how this works. But from what I understand, <laughs> never, never give him birth, so somebody can correct me. But these labor pains, they become more frequent as the baby's about to come. They become more intense as the baby's about to come. Are we seeing the things that Jesus was talking about being more frequent and intense? How much time do we really have? Bible tells us live as if you have no time at all. You can come any second. The last thing I want us to notice from this passage is that we ought to be encouraged. I'd like to point out that this is what Scripture calls our blessed hope in, in Titus, right? Calls Jesus' second coming our, our blessed hope. And what is our hope? It's that one day, 
Jesus will come back to right all the wrongs that we see in the world. To know that he has a plan and will rescue us from this present darkness. Both passages we read in 1 Thessalonians told us to encourage one another with these words. Do you feel encouraged? I know I sure do. I see a lot of mess and garbage going on in the world, and it's so easy to be discouraged. You turn on the news, right? The mass media, like, their vested interest is to make you feel discouraged, right? Like, from what, I, what I've read, like, off, after these wars have started with Ukraine and Russia, like, every news network, their, their numbers are up. They're doing great, right? Pessimism is great for views. But the Bible tells us that the worse things get, the closer is Jesus is to returning. And I think that's an encouraging thought. I'm not saying that everything will always work out for you or that you won't die, you know, because of this story, the rapture, right? Like, oh, you're just going to be totally fine because of the rapture. What I am saying is that live or die, rescue is coming. And when it does, we will experience glorification, right? Receiving these new bodies that no longer have to fight sin. We will no longer be able to sin. We will experience no more pain or tears. Everything that's horrible in this world, right? Like, it's going to be turned around for the better. Our relationship with Jesus right now can sometimes feel like remote and distant. But a day is coming where we will meet Jesus in the air if we are believers. So finally, as the band comes up, um, briefly want to speak to some of those in the room uh, who might find this whole thing ridiculous. Which, like, I get it. <laughs> it does kind of seem ridiculous. But like many things in the Bible, the ridiculous becomes believable when we put into perspective who God is and what he's already done. You are all walking, talking miracles. For some of you, it's a miracle you can walk or even run two miles in 10 minutes, 35 seconds. But miracles are only unbelievable if we try to achieve them on our own power. You can't change the laws of physics. You can't meet Jesus in the air on your own power. But God is in control, and the realities of physics and matter do not apply to him. If he wants to resurrect, transmute, and then transport millions or possibly billions of believers with a snap, or possibly a trumpet, it's not a big deal for him. Believing that God could do this is less unbelievable than that same God loves us and wanted to rescue us so badly that he came and died for us. And again, guys, it's in his nature. It's who he is. It's his very being, his character. He does not change, and his love for you does not change, no matter how hard you try to push him away. If you'd like to know how to get on this rapture train, to know that if you hear the trumpet sound and see dead people walking around, that you won't be left behind to experience seven horrible years, please come talk to me or one of the other leaders. Um, I'd be happy to talk with you guys about coming to know Jesus. But for tonight, let's pray to the God who authored all these crazy stories we've been studying and thank him for revealing who he is to us through them. Let's pray. Father, I, just, uh, I thank you so much for the, the blessed hope that you've given us, God, that the darker this world gets, the more we can rely on you and know how close you are. God, sometimes it's so hard to believe that you're in control. We see horrible, crazy things happening, and God, we wonder where you are. And I'm sure the Israelites experienced that as well. Yet time and time again, you proved yourself faithful, God, in your own timing. 
And so God, let's not get caught up with dates or particulars, but let us remember the principle that you're in control, God, that you love us and that you have a rescue plan for us, not just physically, God, but for our souls. God, we would constantly be reminded the miracle of what you did at Calvary and what you're gonna do to save us in the future. God, we thank you for everything you've done. Ask all this in your name. Amen.